The following podcast is a Dear Media production. The theme song said it. That's that's so retrograde. Welcome. Oh, are we still playing our theme song or are we just playing that's so retrograde? We have the theme song, but I know you and I are both slightly over it. Should we crowdsource right now yeah. and be like, what do you guys think? Theme song, yay or nay? I was listening to one of our full episodes the other day. Oh, were and you? And yeah, I haven't How done that it? in a while. Well, you know, I think we're pretty good, but I just was like, I needed to listen back to the Nicole Sachs thing. So I listened to the whole episode and I listened to the theme song and I was like, this is kind of annoying. That's what I've been saying. And I fucking wrote it. Like I, I have been like so on the fence with fully scrapping it for like a year. Okay, so my two pitches are either, and this is a pitch to you, but this is also a pitch to our fans, family, audience, team, friends, Friends. et cetera. Guys, either we do... Just, yes, that's so retrograde. Or we use the cool version that we use at our live shows that our friends, Chelsea and John of Kane Holler described. And that's a more like synthy sexual version. See, for me, I feel like I want to get right to the point, get to the combo. I hear that. But it's like such a good version of the song. But you're also talking to someone who's listened to Rain On Me over and over and over again for three mile hikes for the past five days in a row. So that's a strong move. What if we make our theme song rain on me? Rain on me. I'm that's, here for that's it. That's so retrograde. <laughs> As performed by Stephanie Simbari. <laughs> keyboard by Elizabeth Cott. My mom sent me my keyboard from when I was like seven years old, which Dad, I love. I, is it I tiny? It. It's tiny. It's over there. I'll show it to you after. But the thing is, that I'm like, in the shui of it all, I'm like, I don't really know. I don't have a spot for it. Right. I wish that I but didn't I already it. buy Thanks a keyboard sending, and I could just steal that from you. It's from 92. That's really fun. <laughs> it's vintage. It is fun. It's cool. It's vintage. It's sustainable. <laughs> it's on brand. On brand. Yeah. Good segue stuff. <laughs> Thank what you we're so talking much. about today. <laughs> I know, like, I just, I'm really excited about this conversation because it echoes what I know you have been feeling, I've been feeling, collectively we've been feeling. It's just like the thought trails that we're all going down during this time. I mean, the world feels like a really scary place. And (sighs) what feels important and primary, although I feel like we can't change what's happening in the world on like a massive scale, but we can really take personal responsibility for how we step out into the world and the things that we do. And that's kind of the catalyst for this conversation today around making better choices around sustainability. I made a list of like the things I'm doing that are good and the things that I'm doing are not so good. And the things that were not so good was a larger list. Mm -hmm. And so I just have been really entertaining and taking action around like what I can do to personally like leave a better footprint. Even though your footprint's already so tiny. It's only a six and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny that you're saying that because today I did a live with Shannon Aganza, or I guess it's yesterday, technically pulling the curtain back. Um, This is Wednesday. And she was talking about the Saturn retrograde that's happening for the next like five months or something. And she was saying that a big part of that is exactly what you're saying, which is like contemplating and figuring out where each of us can take personal ownership for the ways in which we contribute to a structure that's no longer sustainable. And that means like literal sustainability, but it also just means like emotionally and interpersonally. And it's like, it's on every level. We need to be like, instead of being outraged that it is the way that it is, all that we can do is turn inward and say, okay, where do I make my mark? And if we all kind of can collectively rise to that call, then it does chip away at Mm -hmm. the systemic uh, instability. Yeah. And I think obviously there's so many categories where that can apply to. Yeah. Today we're talking about our own personal carbon footprint. 
Mm -hmm. And we have a fun, exciting guest to help us guide us through. I'm like, honestly, she was such a great interview, such a light, so kind of just like goals. Do I say goal? I don't really say goals, but like, I would say she's of my goals category where I'm just like, she's figured it out. She's doing it right. And what a beautiful conversation that we got to have with her. Yeah. Let's just get right to it. Without further ado, it's Nikki Reed. We're so happy to have you here. You're well-known actress. You have a very cool online platform for sustainable brands that we'll get into for a second. But how you were first introduced to me and probably a lot of people was through this movie 13, which I know you, I'm sure you talk about so much, but I just rewatched it last night and my boyfriend watched it with me and Uh he went to a Catholic all boys school. Uh So he literally was so shook. But he had he's had like zero introduction to like any of the topics that were covered in this movie. That it was such a seminal piece, I feel, for like the early 2000s and youth and like the warnings that might exist. I think it's why I got my tongue pierced. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that was intro. Uh, well, thanks. And thank you for, for, for watching the film again before this. I talk about it, but I don't talk about it as much as I did when I was younger, just because, I mean, honestly, while well, Evan and I, Evan, Rachel Wood and I just did an Instagram live together where we went through some really fun questions and kind of, it was really amazing to see how many people still feel so connected to that film and also what an impact it had on their lives, sort of like no matter where you were from. It wasn't LA specific. It was kind of very universal in that it touched on everyone's childhood. Well, not everyone, but a lot, a lot of really personal stuff that a lot of people went through. Yeah. And you co-wrote that movie. How old were you? I was 13. Wow. I was 13 and uh, we wrote it over Christmas break. So um, I think less than a week. And within a few months, there was an audition process. And I remember I was, well, first of all, the, the initial plan was not for me to be in the film. I got told I could have like an unofficial casting associate position um, and I could take off eighth grade for two weeks to read with the girls who were coming in to audition because the material was like kind of uncomfortable for, for the girls and they wanted someone young to read with. And so they thought it would be a good idea to bring me in. And during that process, I guess behind the scenes, it was discussed, you know, that I should, I guess, play, play the role of Evie. For me, you know, all of this happened so quickly and I had no training as an actress and I didn't grow up wanting to be an actress. Um, I've always really gravitated towards writing and creating in that sense. And so I was sort of thrown into this world and it all happened so quickly, quickly in terms of like film standards, but also just life. You know, we wrote in December, we were auditioning girls in I think February and shooting in June. And then the film came out the following January. So from start to finish, it was a year and my life was kind of like, picked up and, and turned upside down. And I think I, I kind of took on this, or I was sort of thrust into this world of becoming an expert on a topic that may, maybe I was familiar with because it's true. You know, a lot of the film was um, autobiographical, which we can talk about that in a second. But I, I definitely didn't feel prepared to have like an authoritative role or an expert role on anything, which is something that I've been very sensitive to for the rest of my life and career. Um, and, you know, even as we talk about what I, what I assume we're probably going to jump into today, which is sustainability and business, I try to, to not come at it from the perspective of an expert, but more of um, a student. That's our exact vibe. It's really, it really very freeing when you claim to know very little. Yeah, <laughs> it works. It works really well. <laughs> also, hearing that show. you hearing that you wrote that at thirteen makes me want to hop off this Zoom call and uh, finish <laughs> all the screenplays that I've ever written in my life. By the way, same, <laughs> same. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! I've got some work to do. I know I set the bar really high for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you not on purpose, by the way, but I did, and then I spent the next decade going, "What am I doing with my life?" <laughs> yeah. Relatable. The thing that 13 had was this kind of undeniable truth in that because it was based on my childhood, I think for the time, you know, that was really shocking, but no one could sort of turn a blind eye because 
for the first time, there was somebody saying, wait, this is real and this is happening. And, and you know, it's really important that, that you guys listen. And by you guys, I mean, parents and teachers and therapists and, you know, having this film be about two young girls as well, you know, touching on a lot of sensitive stuff that just had never really been talked about in such an open way. The consequence of that, which is really interesting, uh, and it's something I, it was an unintended consequence, something I never could have predicted, was that, you know, by exposing a tiny slice of life, my personal life, I, I kind of, I think my greatest regret will always be that I exposed my family's life without, I mean, we had their, their permission in that everybody was on board and they, and they knew that we were making this film, of course, but I exposed my family's life in a very one-dimensional kind of way because I wrote it. So it was my perspective, right? So the rawness and the truth of 13 is what made it special, I think, because it was from the perspective of a child, but it's still the perspective of a child. And that's something that I couldn't really understand until later on that I had taken my perspective and put it out there as if it was everyone's truth. And it wasn't, it was my truth. It was very real to me. But, you know, like the father character, that's not a fully realized character. It would have been a very different film if, if that film was from the perspective of the father or the brother or the mother. But instead, it was from through the eyes of a 13-year-old girl written, you know, with the pen being held by a 13-year-old girl. So it just, you feel that. And, and I took that, that with me because I, I definitely subjected my family to a ton of scrutiny and pain and, and criticism and vulnerability that I think no one could have anticipated or predicted at the time not them, not myself, but I definitely wouldn't be able to do that again. And um, it's informed how I live my life now as an adult. I'm very sensitive and cautious when it comes to, you know, and protective of my family, um, other people's stories. Don't you think that's kind of true of all, of all art though? Like it's always, you can't always encompass every person as a full character because every story isn't told through everybody's eyes. So you're always kind of doing that to some degree. And by the way, that's what makes it, that's like why it's lightning in a bottle, right? Because it's that moment in time. It's like a visual, it's a, it's a photograph of somebody's mind. It's a time capsule. It's, it's like, absolutely. That is what yeah. makes art so special too. But um, yeah. when you're telling the world that this art is true, but you're not asking everybody else where their truth is. It's just something that, you know, I don't, I wouldn't take it back because inevitably it helped so many people. It really did. You know, to this day, I have people come up to me that say I became, you know, a child psychologist because of that film or my whole relationship with my mother, uh, you know, took a drastic turn because of that film or, you know, I felt like I could talk about self-harm and, 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 you know, my own cutting and, and open up with my family because of that film. So it did a lot of good and I'm incredibly proud, but I also, at the same time, um, I couldn't do it again, you know? Do you feel like the perspective that you have on that now is what's driven you towards the work that you do to be more kind of aware of and considerate of the impact in that way? Not that you were not considering that on purpose, but just like what you're describing, how powerful it is to like put something into the world and then have somebody come back to you and say, maybe this wasn't even your intention as I'm sure it wasn't as a 13 year old girl to like encourage people to go into a deeper element of their truth. But it sounds like that's kind of informed you in some way. I guess it has. I haven't really thought about it like that, but hearing you say that maybe, yeah, maybe it has. I mean, the life that I live now is I'm on a journey, right? <laughs> and when I look back at where I started, the, you know, the beginning of the road, I've definitely come a long way. I mean, I grew up, you know, eating fast food and, you know, throwing trash out my out of my car window as a kid, because that's what I knew. And here I am, you know, working as hard as I can to leave a, a better better earth for my child and, and, you know, do what I can where I can to make a difference. So it's interesting to see, you know, when I look back at my like high school photos or like my 17 year old self smoking cigarettes and like <laughs> eating chicken McNuggets, it's, like <laughs> it's definitely um, been a journey, but I think I, like I embrace every step of the way. And I also think it's really important to kind of acknowledge those things. Um, 
within ourselves because I think as a society and culture, we really like to shame people for change. Mm-hmm. And I think it just brings up a lot of fear in ourselves and each other. When we see people change in any capacity, it's, it's holding up a mirror to ourselves going like, well, why am I not doing that? Why am I not there yet? And so we like to kind of freeze people and keep them in one place because it makes us feel safe, I think. And so I try to like crack that open and constantly expose you know, who I was yesterday is not who I am today and who I'll be tomorrow is not who I am now. And I I try to like really embrace that and talk about that and also applaud incremental change too. You know, I think when it comes to activism and of any kind, uh, we also tend to like gravitate towards extremism. And so to me, I I try to show like most of us, 99% of us live in the gray, right? I mean, you can be like the greatest, coolest, most devoted eco warrior on the planet. And you're probably still using toilet paper. You probably drive a car. You probably have been on an airplane in your life. And so, and then if we want to like really break it down, you're probably, you know, even if you don't do any of those things, you're eating food. And I'm sure that that food probably comes from some sort of farm where it's like a monoculture and like crops that are grown improperly or like there's some kind of degradation or impact that we're all making. And so instead of like creating this whole polarizing like extremism movement where it's like you either do or you don't, I try to say like, hey, here's all the things that I'm not doing right so that you create like a little bit of relatability because I think people want to come out and be a part of something when they don't feel like they'll be criticized for every little thing that they're not doing perfectly you know yeah because then it becomes something that's impossible to even mount and it makes you just turn your back on it entirely not only turn your back on it but also be resentful of it and find ways to not endorse that you know what I mean yeah Elizabeth, let's take a time out from this wonderful conversation to celebrate one of our partners who definitely has their eye on consciousness when it comes to consumption. Conscious consumption, delicious consumption over at Saqqara, the leaders in the game, if you ask me. I'm just looking on their website right now. If you're not new to the show, you know that we love Saqqara. They are a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness starting with what you eat. And I'm just looking at their menu for this week because they post it weekly. Mm-hmm. And my goodness. So yum. Soba noodle. Oh, their soba noodles are everything. If you guys aren't sure what we're talking about, um, you need to be sure because Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. They offer organic ready-to-eat meals that are made with powerful plant-based ingredients. And they are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. And satisfy your urge for yummy food. At the menu for this week, starting for breakfast, a key lime protein parfait with coconut yogurt, Brazil nut crumble, fresh squeezed lime juice. Breakfast or lunch, you've got a kimchi and buckwheat soba bowl, buckwheat soba noodles, kimchi, sesame roasted bok choy. Then for dinner, a tikka masala spices, mango, creamy coconut, pearl dressing on a salad with red lentil dal. I mean, I... Just love how fresh and delicious the ingredients are and how there's so much thought that goes into constructing just such an exciting meal. Yes, they are chef crafted. And as you said, the menu changes weekly, so you'll never get bored. You'll feel like you're cooking for yourself, but better than you could probably do. (laughs) See how my water is green? Uh Uh-huh. Chlorophyll drops. Oh, hello. Clean Boutique, which I'm a big fan of. That's right. Along with the delicious meals, Saqqara also has daily wellness essentials. Like Elizabeth said, head over to Saqqara, that's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash retrograde, or you can enter the code retrograde at checkout and you will get 20% off your first order of the meal delivery service or their Clean Boutique. That's Saqqara dot com slash retrograde. Who doesn't love it? All right. You know what else I love? This conversation. Let's get back to it. Hey guys, I'm Kinsey from the I Love You So Much podcast. On my show, we talk about everything lifestyle, business, finance, beauty, you name it. My favorite part about the show is the amazing guests that we bring on. We have everyone ranging from like business experts to influencers, CEOs, creative masterminds. It's so much fun. If you guys want to find me on Instagram and it's just at Kinsey Elizabeth, I release new episodes every Thursday. So hope to see you there. 
I remember, you know, like even something as like meatless Mondays, for example, you know, I, I remember uh, when I stopped eating meat and, you know, like algorithms in the world, they start sending you things that just because just becomes like a part of your orbit. So I start seeing like a lot of the vegan movement, like criticizing meatless Mondays because it's not enough, right? It's like, oh, how dare you say that you're like doing something great when you're giving up meat one day a week. And I don't necessarily endorse that kind of criticism because to me, like when you're talking to billions of people on the planet, one day a week is a huge gesture. And also one day a week, more often than not, turns into two days a week. And that's Mm -hmm. pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to promote and celebrate the tiny gestures that we can all do that are individual to our own daily life. Like what a big change for me might not be that big of a change for you. And one of the things that, as I'm sure we're all like having our own little fun thought trails during this time of just a Fun and otherwise. Fun, scary, <laughs> weird, yeah. hilarious. You know, it's all, it just depends on the moment. But one of the things that, you know, Steph and I have been talking about amongst ourselves is really like the impact of the things we buy. And for me, I've really been tripped out on like the amount of hands something touches before it reaches my doorstep. And I've never really thought about it in that lens before. And even, you know, coming from a fashion background and you were a client of mine from Closet Rich forever ago. So I've always felt like I've had a little bit of like an inclination of the importance of being a mindful consumer, but it's time to step it up. It really is. Like, I think that this is an amazing opportunity for us to all turn the page on practices that weren't working for us or that we know that we can do better with. And so that's really what we just would love some guidance from you today on little changes that we can make and just like shine a a spotlight on what we can all do. And I think it can feel really overwhelming to like the idea of if we make like one small change and we're not doing enough. But I want to really drive the point home that one small change is still a change and it does have impact. Yeah. So I feel like as much as I, you know, I'm really turned off by technology. Um, I'm sure we're all like feeling this digital overload right now, especially working from home and everything being like with a device of some kind in our hands or in front of us. I know that it's, it's a lot. But one beautiful thing about technology, there are a few, <laughs> is that we have this ability to exist with such transparency now and also to take this time to learn and, and read and kind of like get centered on that. So doing is great and celebrating those small gestures is great. One small step, which I still think is a really important step, is just taking time to research and to listen to podcasts and to kind of start to wrap your head around the interconnectedness between how we live and exist and how we consume and environmental degradation. And so, you know, that really it starts with like kind of understanding as a whole your place in this world and how there's a a really inspiring woman named Bay Johnson who wrote a book about how her and her family exist on one mason jar of trash every year. And I'm like, talk about feeling overwhelmed. I'm like, oh oh my God, I'll never get to that place. You know, but every time you kind of crack the door open on something else, it inspires you in some capacity to like, do I live on one mason jar of trash? No, I, I definitely don't. But I'll tell you that every time something goes in the trash from the moment I read that book, I think about whether or not it has to go in the trash or if I can give it a second life or how I can start from my household out. I think change starts from the inside out, not the outside in. And it gets really overwhelming when you start from the outside in because so much of that is out of our control completely. But when we start to go like, what are the little things that I can do just within my own household? So... And once you know, you can't unknow. That's the thing about like conscious living is that you can't really reverse or rewind. I mean, I suppose you can, but anybody, you know, I'm sure the three of us on this call right now live in a way that's like, it would plague your mind, you know? So that doesn't feel the same. Well, like, I will say that I undo it. But I read, exactly. I, read, I read skinny bitch a long time ago and was vegan for a bunch of years. And then I pretended I never read that and went back to being not vegan. I was like striking that from the record. (laughs) But also whatever part of being human is giving yourself the space to try things. Yeah. 
and being open to whatever that path is. And I'm a firm believer that one thing is not for everybody. So I don't eat meat, but I don't go around crusading and saying the rest of the world shouldn't eat meat because I believe in that type of sort of choice and diversity and how we live our lives. I think that's part of what makes us human. And now because we're talking about this, I'll just jump into something that I, I've been thinking about. So I used to write a little bit for Elle magazine. And I remember I wrote a piece once which didn't make it out into the world. And I, I can't actually recall why, but it was called A Vegan's Approach to Hunting. <laughs> And now, actually, now that I say it out loud, I'm like, I know why that didn't make it. <laughs> I really believe that we're so disconnected from our food, just in general. And it starts with children because we teach them from zero on that, like, chicken nuggets come in the shape of dinosaurs. So they don't actually know it's chicken. They don't actually know what they're eating because we mask everything in plastic and shapes and colors and sugars and the problem with that is that if we don't know what we're eating, it's like you're robbing yourself or your children of the choice to make whatever choice is right for them. And I truly believe if we lined up 10 kids and said, hey, what do you want to eat? You know, without anything fun, without like cartoons influencing what they like to eat or things like that or shapes or commercials or whatever. I truly believe like one third of the children would say, oh yeah, I do want to eat, you know, that hamburger. And then I believe that there's a certain portion of kids that actually gravitate towards veggies and fruits. And then I think there are a certain portion of kids that would be like kind of indifferent and not really care. But I think we need to give people transparency and the opportunity to make whatever choice works for them. So if you decided to be vegan and then decided that didn't work for you, well, you know what, for whatever amount of time you did what, what you did, you also might've inspired four other people to be vegan and then they stayed vegan. Mm -hmm. Or maybe at least now that you were vegan and now you're not, you're thinking about like ethical choices with how you eat. For sure. When you go to a restaurant, you're like, Hey, you know, was that, killed humanely? Is that a grass-fed burger? What am I putting in my body? How is that affecting the planet? And so there's no space for criticism in this. Like, it really is upsetting because criticism is the thing that will constantly drive a wedge between what we want to do and actually accomplishing that in terms of societal movement. It's kind of funny how the consciousness community has a way of like unconsciously being on a high horse. I mean, I don't want to say that as a whole, just because I, again, I'm really sensitive to sort of how I speak about, because I think the- I'll say it. <laughs> I don't care. Steph isn't, so. Yeah. <laughs> I think that communities in general have an ability to be on a high horse. So I would mm -hmm. say that maybe, maybe what you're saying is that it's shocking that in a space of trying to create positive change, we bring negativity to the table. You got that it. I totally hear and see. And that's why when I speak about this, I say like, hey guys, if you want to do something that's coming from a place of love, which is your love for animals or your love for the ocean or your love for the environment. So you're out there talking about like no more single use plastic or please don't eat meat or please like whatever it is that really moves your soul. It's clearly supposed to be coming from a place of love. So you need to act with love. And if you don't, you need to remember that you're probably turning off the hundred people you're talking to are probably going to do the opposite for the rest of their life. And let's talk about clothing in particular, like what are you looking for in a brand that speaks to you in a way that like, oh, this is like on a more sustainable route? So the conversation has shifted for me a little bit because, you know, as I said, you grow and you learn as time goes on. And I am a student in this. I'm not an expert. So I'm learning new things every day. So for a long time for me, it was about, you know, if we rewind, let's say five or five or so years, it was about finding things that were cruelty-free and organic, right? And organic meant, you know, how is this cotton grown? Is it grown with Roundup? Is it grown, are we um, supporting, again, going back to like monocultures and the destruction that monocultures have on our environment? I was like, hmm, that's interesting. It's related to fashion and what we put on our bodies. And cruelty-free meant uh, not supporting anything that was made with an animal. And then as time went on, I started understanding that the alternatives that were being used to replace leather were actually really harmful to the planet. So then we started diving into like, what does PVC mean? And are we 
creating more plastic to put plastic on our bodies and how harmful is that plastic and what does that actually mean for the environment? Because if we're still in a trend of fast fashion and things are, you know, being disposed of every other day, then it's wonderful to see, you know, the big powerhouse companies that I don't name because I don't like to put people on blast, but it's wonderful to see them endorsing cruelty-free. But are they just doing that because it's a trend? And now is all the stuff going to end up in landfills completely unable and not biodegradable? And then that kind of started weighing on me and, and the decisions I make. So right now, what I'm really focused on, especially within my own company, is creating products like this is our robe, for example, <laughs> uh, creating products that are made and grown with plants. So cupro is a great um, material because it's the discarded part of the cotton plant, basically. So it's the part of the cotton that people don't typically use. Plant dyeing is a really big deal to me just because, and that's not always um, totally attainable because there are a lot of issues with plant dyeing uh, for consistency. And, you know, understandably when people purchase things, they deserve to be able to have a level of consistency. Not everybody wants uh, inconsistent color. And so I think now I'm in this place of like, when this is done, because inevitably it will be for you know whoever purchases it, where is it going to live? And how is that going to affect its surrounding area? So buying local is a big deal to me. Uh, during this pandemic, I think there's been a lot of focus uh, shifted and light shed on supporting small businesses, which is super cool. So I'm obviously you know really geared towards supporting female founders. So female founded, local, ethical production, and we can talk about what that means and how we kind of define that. Um, sustainable in that, does it have to check every box on the list? Depends on what that means, because your list looks different from my list. And your list might mean it absolutely has to be cruelty-free, and my list might be it absolutely cannot put toxins into the environment. And great that we've got more than one list going at once. How cool is that? And then also vintage, you know, upcycled, recycled. So a lot of what we create is from um, post-consumer materials. So that's a pretty big, big deal to me. I think the only true way to be sustainable is to actually consume less. I would say consume not at all, but that's impossible for everybody, literally just because of <laughs> we have to consume to sustain our lives. But in, in like a superficial way, if we're talking about consuming products, consuming less. Yeah. Interesting to be a business owner and say that, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's true. I read a statistic that said that we actually, like if we stopped producing clothing today, then we would have enough clothing to sustain the world forever, which is actually wild. And I love clothes, so I'm not, I'm, but it's just, you know, like I, I love a new season. I love a new whatever, but to, to wrap the head around that and to think of like where things go, which has always been a thought trail of mine. It's, I mean, to think like, where does a t-shirt go when it's done? is something that like could keep me up at night if I really let it. And you know what? It kind of should. It kind of should because if you start thinking about where that t-shirt goes when you're done with it, then maybe we'll all start thinking a little bit more about where that to-go container when you decide to do takeout because you just don't feel like cooking, which I totally get. You know, where does that to-go container go every other night? And where do those plastic forks go when you pick them up, but then you didn't actually even need to use them. So they're sitting in the center console of your car, but then you're like, oh, I just don't want to look at them anymore. So they're just, I'm just going to throw them away. Where do all <laughs> these little things go? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like those yeah. are the- Yeah. I've like hoarded plastic forks and roll-ups for my whole life because I'm just like, I'm not using them, but I can't throw them away. When I moved, I had like two full drawers of that stuff. Yeah. And it those were the kind of things that were see. like- we need to give those things a second, third, fourth, fifth life, or we need to not consume at yeah. all. And, mm -hmm. you know, being conscious of that takes extra effort. And that's the thing, right? It's like you're asking people to make an extra effort. It does. I don't know if you guys know very much about recycling because I'm still learning a lot about recycling. Same. Standardized recycling is actually a huge problem in this country, standardized labels and recycling. I mean, um, you know, most people, including myself, 
think they know how to recycle, but the truth is there's so many sort of like intricacies and complications and specificities when it comes to recycling. And one of those is, well, first for everybody listening to your podcast, it would be so cool if, if everyone could take just five minutes to actually Google how do I recycle and what can I actually recycle? That, that would be really cool because I spent so many years, I mean, admittedly, probably up until only about three years ago, I thought I knew how, but didn't know how to recycle. And so everything that I thought, okay, this is paper. I think that's, you recycle that, right? Do you recycle paper towels? Do you recycle? Well, for sure glass, right? For sure glass. And you do that in your head. And so everything, as soon as you put it in the recycle bin, you go, whew, my conscience is good because like I did the right thing, you know? But really we have to hold ourselves accountable for making the right choices all the way through. If we're going to commit to a choice, let's do it all the way. So um, Googling that is, is really important because one of the things that I learned is that the reason why these recycling plants are going out of business is because if we don't put the right things in there, and there's hazardous materials. So for example, a glass breaks on the floor and you're like, you know what? I think I could just put all the pieces of the glass in the recycling bin. No. And when somebody gets cut from that, there's another issue and it's, there's another hazardous thing, harmful thing. And so all these recycling plants are being shut down. So anyway, it takes extra effort to do the right thing. And I get that. And so I have to have that conversation with myself every day. But I kind of love the, the lesson that it teaches me is also the lesson that I want to be able to instill in my daughter every day. It's funny how having a kid suddenly makes you reflect on everything within yourself, right? Because when I feel myself getting lazy, you know, like a, a tub of spinach, for example, if anyone's ever bought those in plastic from like Whole Foods. Yeah sure everybody has, you have to rinse that tub. You have to take out every leaf of spinach in order to put it in your recycling bin. And that takes extra effort, right? So you're like, oh good, at least I did it. I like dumped my spinach in the pan and then I just put the thing in the, no, girl, you need to go back in your recycling bin and pull that thing out. If there are 10 pieces of spinach still left in the bottom of that stock, you need to rinse out your jars when you pick up a smoothie from somewhere. Or like a hummus container. I always, once I was told that I was always like, can't, can't unknow that now. Can't unknow that. That's right. And I hope that these little things, the extra effort, I hope that as I continually teach myself that every day, that the earth is worth our extra effort. I hope that my daughter sees that. And I hope that that's one thing that she carries with her. And also it takes slowing down. That's my other big thing right now that I keep trying to remind myself that I think the world is actually teaching us because no matter how much we say we know it, clearly like <laughs> we needed some help slowing down, right? We're in a forced slowdown right now and you have to slow down in order to do the right thing. If you're speeding up, it's easy to just ignore that, you know, it's, it's easy to do the easy thing when you're, when everyone says sped up. It's crazy how like washing out a yogurt container when you have a really busy life feels annoying. Feels annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Feels annoying. Feels unnecessary. Feel so one thing that I do is if I'm not feeling, I just, I, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night, the dishes are full. Everything is like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. I worked a full day and I still cooked three meals for everyone. And, and I did school and I did, we did art projects. And I'm like, <laughs> is um, I put everything in one, like a cardboard box or whatever you have in your house, put it in a pot, put it in a, just put it in the sink. But I put everything there and I go, all right, I acknowledge that I'm not going to do it now, but I'm not just going to do the lazy thing and put mm -hmm. it away. I'm going to wait until I have the, the time and ability to do it. So it's just staring back at me. So I'm like, okay, that's where we're going. And little things that you can do, like buy bags that are, you know, buy compost bags for your actual trash bin and put your food in that. Because why are we putting food scraps in plastic and then putting that in landfills. Think about the logic behind that when we could use biodegradable bags mm -hmm. that everything can actually go back into the earth. I've also been composting and learning that you can compost a lot more stuff than you actually think. Yes. Are you worm composting? Well, my landlord's doing all the hard work, but I'm just collecting all the materials. <laughs> but it's cool because I'm like, oh, paper towels go in the compost. Like, all these different things that I didn't know, even like the dark brown type of packaging can go in there. Like it's all really. Really? Yeah. You could have a whole compost in your backyard where, you, where you're Oh yeah, at. no, we started. Oh good, perfect. Yeah, we started. So right, I'm at the phase right now. We, we have one of those green bins, which California offers, which is great. So you can actually put like any like plant clippings in there and also fruits and veggies. So that's, 
that was like my first research hole was to find out like what can go in the green bin. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I've just gotten into this over this quarantine. And it was always something when I have the time, I'll do it. But I guess what I want to say is it's never too late to start. And as embarrassed as I am to admit that I'm just getting into it because I've had, as you said, I was able to slow down and really assess like what are the things that I can tweak. That was one of them. So what I'm doing is I'm putting our scraps, fruit and veggie scraps in a bag in the freezer and then taking it out of the bag and then putting that in the green bin. That's my first phase. And then I want to get into like full composting for the garden and all that. But that was like the first step. It's my favorite. I love composting. So what are your like beginner composting tips? Because I am like fresh faced into the world. We could do a whole podcast session just on composting. But I think what you were touching on is just that there's so much more than we even realize we can compost, which is super cool. And it's like, you're taking ownership. The thing is like composting is a metaphor for taking ownership of what we normally give to somebody else to do for us. We're taking, Mm. it's so empowering. You're creating something from start to finish. So like you're taking your own waste, which makes you more conscious of your waste and putting it back into the earth, feeding something else, which is all those microorganisms. And if you're worm composting, that's super cool too. Then you're watching it regenerate. You're watching a new life force come from that. And then you're taking that and feeding vegetables that are then going to sustain you as well. So it's all very cool and cyclical and you're doing it yourself instead of handing it to someone else. And, and not to like continue to bring the like mom, mom aspect into this, but it's so good for children to see. It's so empowering for children to see the whole life cycle because I truly believe, have you ever grown a vegetable, like anything, anything, even like a a strawberry, a tomato, one Mm -hmm. thing, when you grow something and you know, like I grow kale, for example, and I have to pull off a zillion white flies off every freaking leaf of kale before you can eat it just because I'm not going to spray it with anything toxic, obviously. So the amount of work that goes into like one piece of lettuce or kale you better believe that I'm going to make sure I'm growing only enough for us to eat. And then also I'm not throwing that shit away because that is a very special piece of kale. (laughs) (laughs) I love that kale, you know? And I think when we we're so accustomed to, and this is again, like a cultural thing, going to the supermarket and buying things, we're buying more than we need. We're hoarding more than we need, which is like very fear-based. You know, I I need to have more and more and more just for me. And then we're throwing away so much of it. And I just think, you know, I started looking at food waste even within my own household because I think it's really important to share things and not follow it with like, I'm embarrassed to say, but say like, this is what I learned from this, you know? And I started looking at food waste within my own household going, how can I talk about sustainability and like I'm watching this batch of bananas go bad and then I don't have the time or ability to actually make banana bread with it which is what I know I should be doing so so many things are going and sure great it's going into the compost but like did I really need to think about the journey that those bananas had to take to get to me for them to just go into the compost you know so it just helps you start thinking about your own waste a little bit more I don't want to like scare people off and dive too deep into that because then people I know when I I can start to feel in myself when I get to this place where I'm like oh you're talking about the bananas that people are gonna (laughs) say it's okay banana bread's having its moment it needed to work its way in here somehow (laughs) totally we are doing a lot of bread baking right now because the baby finds it fun. (laughs) Anyway, I just think being aware of how much we consume is just a really important part of this. And composting is a beautiful way to bring that to the surface. Mm -hmm. Is there a compost bin for like beginners that, because this is my research moment right now that I've been looking into. Is there one that you can recommend? Yeah, I'm going to hold on, stay right there because I want to get you the name of this because I am absolutely obsessed. And I think this is so perfect because it helps people who live in areas, you know, small apartments, city living. It helps us realize that no matter where you are, you can compost. Hold on. It's coming to you. So it's called Compost Australia. Okay. I love. The website is composta.com.au. So uh, C-O-M-P-O-S-T-A, composta.com.au. The reason I so love, this is what it looks like. 
And the reason Ooh, I love it looks pretty. pretty. It's it's a worm bin in the center. Okay. And then, you know, it's also small enough. It's small. I mean, it's like the size of where I'm sitting. It's small enough that you can bring this into an apartment. And here, I'll give you context of size. Oh, great. You know, it's a really like inclusive product. <laughs> and then another company, which mine's not here yet. It arrives tomorrow. But this is the only thing I got for my birthday because I'm not big on receiving gifts because I think that there's just too much in the world that goes to waste. So handmade things are cool. And then this, and I'm going to show you, this is called Lettuce Grow. Mine arrives tomorrow and it's lettucegrow.com. And you guys are about to lose your minds. So basically it's a hydroponic system where you can grow up to 36 vegetables by yourself no help. We're not talking like a 20 foot garden bed. It's a vertical garden, hydroponic. They send you the non-GMO organic seedlings that are, so they're already sprouted. You put them in every three weeks and within three weeks, those grow to full maturity. You harvest them, put them in your fridge and they stay good for probably a month. I'm sure because I I don't know if you guys know this, but when you get stuff from the grocery store, it's already been on its journey for two weeks, which is why it wilts so fast, but this will stay good for a month. You're going to eat your vegetables and immediately replant your seedlings, which they send right to you. I mean, I should really be an ambassador for them. I'm not. Yeah. The excitement that you have right now. I'm just like, where do I buy? It's (laughs) contagious. I want one too. Oh, wow. Wow. Like that's one right there. And this is like your chard, your kale. You can grow big things too, like cauliflower, you know, big beefsteak tomatoes. Look how beautiful. What are you doing? So cool. So multi-purpose is a big part of sustainability and we can jump into that too, but versatility and multi-purpose. So everything that I design and create, and I'm bringing that up as a natural segue because I love that these vertical hydroponic vegetable towers are multifunctional in that they make beautiful like foliage and like decorative, like it looks like you have a garden, except it's edible. We need to talk about your brand. Yes. Though, because obviously you're a wealth of knowledge yeah. <laughs> and it into your own, your own venture. So please talk to us about Bio with Love. Yeah. I'd rather talk about composting. I know, but I love all your shiny things. Yeah, but I like you're wearing really good jewelry and right really now. Good clothes and jewelry. So we still need to like ground back into the cute stuff. Mm-hmm. So I started Bayou in the hopes of creating products that were as beautiful in their appearance as they were in with their meaning. And so I wanted to create products with a story, but also I wanted to create conversation starters because I really believe that we're in a place right now in the world as consumers where the story means as much as the item. And that to me is really exciting. And I also wanted to kind of take the notion of sustainability kind of having, you know, there's an elitist vibe, I think, that um, people can be really turned off by when it comes to sustainable products. And again, I'm like, I'm sensitive to the massive gap in between. I want to kind of bridge that gap by creating sustainable, attainable luxury. That was my goal. So I started by, we're three years old. Actually, we're three years old this week, which is super cool. Happy birthday. Wow. Thank you. Appropriate She's that a, a luxury brand would be a Taurus. Yeah. <laughs> Very Taurian. <laughs> As a fellow Taurus, I support that concept. <laughs> awesome. We set out um, originally, uh, we released some apothecary and apparel, and we really quickly moved into the jewelry space because I got a phone call from Dell Technology, Dell, big tech Dell. And they said, I remember Dell, the Moo. Remember they had the cows back in the day? That was their branding. Like if you bought a Dell computer back in the day, the box was covered in cow print. Separate convo, but really cool. Really? Oh, yeah. oh my God, that makes me love Dell even more. It was cool. Even more than I already do. Yeah. Yeah. Sustainability has always been a really important part of their mission and supply chain, which I find really interesting because it's not, they didn't lead with that in their marketing. So they, you know, they reached out to me. Uh, now it's been, years, but uh, shortly after we launched and they said, Hey, you know, we, we actually have found gold in the motherboards of our recycled technology. And we want to talk to you about what you feel we could do with that. And I said, you know, it's really interesting because I just launched my company and we're about to start our jewelry division. And I said, this is like the, the most perfect moment to have this conversation. And so we partnered in, in a really 
awesome, organic, authentic way, which is they really wanted their customer base to be introduced to sustainability and kind of connecting the dots between Dell and sustainability. And, and we started doing something that to my knowledge, I say this in all humility, but I don't think it's ever been done before, which is taking gold, recycled gold from technology and turning it into fine jewelry. And a lot had to be learned along the way. So for example, like finding a factory that could work with that kind of gold. How is the gold arriving? Where do we get it? How is it shipped? How do we how do we keep track of this? What are we doing with this? And so there are a ton of learning curves, obviously, and I'm still there's still a lot to be learned and every day there's something new. But it was really exciting for me to work with gold because it was a medium that I think made people feel safe to kind of step outside of their comfort zone and what they knew surrounding sustainable products. Because, you know, you hear the word sustainable or recycled and, and obviously you think used, right? And so people have a hard time shopping or purchasing products that are used um, and knowing that the quality is there. And I totally get that. I'm, I'm also that consumer. When I buy something, I want to know that the quality is there. We all work hard for our money and we deserve to, to have that. And so gold was really... Um, an interesting material and medium because gold is gold no matter where it comes from. So you could kind of get somebody to kind of like embrace this concept of wearing recycled, but with something that made them feel comfortable doing it. So that was kind of like the, you know, it's like the, the, the entry, the entry point, right? It's like, now we can have this conversation or they can sit around their dinner table and say, Oh, you know, this ring that I'm wearing, here's where this came from. It actually originated in a landfill inside of a computer and was taken out and through a hot water process extracted um, and then melted back down to its original state and then refined. And it has a whole story. Wow. We produce everything locally, which is super cool. So I can drive to our factory uh, as much as I want in there a couple days a week. Obviously not right now, but in there a couple days a week. And I think that's really important. I'm definitely not just the face of my company. I live and breathe this company. So I'm involved in every aspect from the creative to uh, operations. So I still you know, build product pages and I'm still on the back end of our website doing everything. I shoot all the product photography myself for the company, including shots that I'm in. So I, I model everything as well, but I shoot everything with my own camera. Um, I design every piece myself. I oversee everything from, you know, the creative to, you know, even down to like customer service. So I'm, I'm definitely involved in every single part of the company. And I think it's really important to produce locally because obviously just our footprint, but also to be able to be that involved, to know where things are getting made, you know, circling back to the conversation of how many hands does something touch before it makes it to our home, our plate, our, our closet, our, it's nice for me to be able to see and know every single person involved. Um, that to me is sustainable. Shout out to the three sapphire ring on the website. Uh, really beautiful. <laughs> I wanted to reach into the computer and just slide my, my hand, hand into, into it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I really love how <laughs> delicate and beautiful the pieces are and knowing with loving them before even knowing that very cool backstory and how it's been sourced. Like there's been a great deal of expansion within like the sustainable fashion world. Like, as you said, it oftentimes was correlated with secondhand, but I'm consistently amazed at like where things are moving. And I think that's your company is such a very cool example of that. I hope that by doing this, we're not the only ones doing it because when you're the only ones, you don't create change, right? So I hope that in two years from now, when I talk to you, I don't say, so we're the only ones doing X, Y, and Z or, you know, because it's about being inclusive. So I like to share the things that we're doing because I actually hope that other brands will start doing it as well. We offer all of our customers the option to use a diamond that is grown from a diamond seed in California using solar energy instead of a traditionally mined diamond. Wait, wait, what? You can grow diamonds? I don't grow the diamonds. That's not my company. That's a company called Diamond Foundry. And again, I'm really transparent about where we source because I like the idea of other designers doing this as well. So they grow diamonds in California using solar energy. So pressurized carbon is what creates a diamond, but it's 
usually underground and takes a very long time. And through technology, we, not me, we, but human beings, we (laughs) have learned uh, how to grow diamonds by creating that environment. And I think it's a really cool concept because again, footprint, you know, everything's in California, which just blows my mind that, you know, truly we're going like this, which is super cool. Hopefully at some point we will be, you know, not only zero, but like negative in terms of our impact on the environment. They're molecularly identical to diamonds. So there's no difference between a grown diamond and a mined diamond. The only difference is the, you know, the impact on the planet. Again, on that note, I I know that grown diamonds are becoming of... And the human rights violations by the way. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much. That is totally right. Uh, yeah. Not just sustainability, but it should bring you know ethical labor into the conversation too. But grown diamonds, while they're becoming super popular, and I love that, a lot of them are actually grown um, with like coal-powered, <laughs> coal-powered facilities. And that is not the direction that we want to go. So I'm really proud that we work with... Um, a company that uses solar energy to, to grow their diamonds. Anyway, that's one one really interesting part of our engagement line is that uh, when people buy an engagement ring with Bayou with Love, they have the option to use a traditionally conflict-free, traditionally mined diamond or a grown diamond. That's so cool. And I know that with Bayou, you guys have like a brick and mortar within the one hotel and you curate other conscious brands along with yours. Can you shout out some that that you're really loving right now? Totally. Thank you for that. Part of what I love doing and why I started Bayou was not just to create our own products, our own conscious products, but actually to highlight a lot of the women who I know or that I'm inspired by because those are women who are working just as hard as I am and deserve to have the platform that I just so happen to have. And so that's a really big priority for me. Let's go through them. Um, Poppy and Sunday is uh, is a really fantastic brand, Apothecary, uh, everything handmade. Earth and Element, who is a company owned, run, founded by Elizabeth DiPrinzio, uh, all handcrafted pottery, ceramics. Again, like going back to using elements that can go back to the earth. Super cool. Uh, she's incredible. And she's also my, my partner in a couple of different areas, including the one hotel. We co-curate the space together and we are the co-creative directors of the space. And, uh, so her and, and I, that hotel is on a sustainable model as a whole. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that hotel was started by Barry Sternlicht, who from Starwood Capital, who uh, is a part of the W chain and a million others that you would know. And he really wanted to make sure that he could create something that really spoke to his heart. So the one hotel is kind of the byproduct of that. He wanted to create a sustainable, attainable luxury is what they love too, which is actually how Buy You With Love and the One Hotel came together in this partnership because I think I was in a meeting once and overheard them saying that line or they overheard me saying that line. I'm not sure, but somehow through this one meeting that was totally unrelated to that, we merged and it was like, oh my God, that's my, our mission statement too. And so um, it's become this really cool partnership where Elizabeth and I help them put together their events. And we bring in, again, a lot of these female founded brands, we bring them in to do these workshops and bring that into the space. And it's about kind of highlighting local community as well. I I saw you posted about a glitter. Yes, eco glitter. Okay. And then I don't think I'd ever fully let myself entertain the idea of what happens to traditional glitter when it washes down the drain. Never thought about it. Not once. And my mind, again, another thing I can never unthink. You can never unthink it. I mean, how cool is that? I heard. So I actually met, this is another really sweet story. I actually met that, the founder of that company. I walked into a store uh, in Australia and her, it wasn't a store, you know, about her product. She was just working in the store and she came up to me and said, hi, I know who you are and I really love your work. And I just want you to know that I started my own company and here's what we focus on. And I know you love sustainability and so do I. And so she actually gave me a, some of her glitter to try. And I was so touched by by her whole story and mission that I, I flew back to the States eventually, you know, when that was over, I flew back here and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, of course we should carry this on by you, but also I want to talk more about this because 
these are the areas, I mean, I had never thought about glitter and where glitter goes. And it's true. Our oceans yeah. are filled with glitter and how amazing that it's <laughs> like veggie byproduct. So That's actually what the bioluminescence was, yeah. just like years of glitter. <laughs> I mean, by the way, it's probably, I mean, it, that's not true, but it's probably so true. There's so yeah. much that we see that we think is like something amazing and it's like a piece of plastic or a piece of, uh I know, so it's a dark glitter, journey. Glitter brand did I read correctly? Uh, Elizabeth, thanks was, for taking us out of the uh, plastic bag. I know, it's a dark hole. I just thought I'd turn the page the as quickly as possible. Really um, appreciate that. Derived from a form of, did, was it eucalyptus? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Which is just so cool. And I'm wow. not affiliated. I'm not an ambassador. I don't get paid by, you know, a lot of the, the posting and writing that I do. You know, I write uh, most of our, or a portion of our Bayou blog, and then we have guest writers too. But a lot of that is just me loving and wanting to support these women that I think are just doing really cool things in this space. And that eco glitter from a beautiful weirdo is, is a part of that. I'm not, I just want you to know I'm not that like the name of the company. their product. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love well, that. We're so grateful to you for joining us today and enlightening us and educating us on the things so that you're are on your radar. It, it's been really cool. So thank yeah. you so, so much. I think you guys are just so cool. And I love that you want to talk about this stuff. And I think that there's definitely a space for us to make this, you know, fun and interesting and also inviting and not, you know, it's about inclusivity, not being exclusive. So yeah, hopefully we've been able to lessen some overwhelm that someone might have been feeling around making a little change or taking some action and, and making a big change. Definitely did it for me. I remember I went down that recycling hole a couple months ago and I came out of it just like a worse person than I was before. I was like, this is a very intense journey to take on. And just the way that you talk about it is so gentle. And I just really appreciate that. And I feel very inspired. And I know that our audience is going to feel the yeah. same. Nikki, tell our listeners where they can find your jewelry and all that fun stuff. So our jewelry and um, and our apparel is all found at uh, www.buyouwithlove.com. And that's spelled B-A-Y-O-U with love.com. Following right now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Roses and thorns. Yes. So many roses, so many thorns. Yeah, it's a whole journey over here. You know, every time that every, you know what they say, Elizabeth? Every rose has its thorn. Every rose has its thorn. I think that's the song, right? Yeah. Is it by Seal or who's that by? I forget. <laughs> it's like an Axel Rose moment. <laughs> but Seal feels right also. I just feel like Seal came up recently for us. And if you're listening, Seal, we love you. Yeah, what was it? He was um, randomly watched, watched our uh, Haley Instagram. and our team's Instagram stories. And ours. But see what I think it is? I think this is a case of mistaken identity where like the time that I thought that Cheech and Chong were following me on Twitter, but it was really just their social media manager. And I was pretty disappointed. Yeah. So something like that. So really exciting Rose today. So We've heard from a lot of you that there are some important essential workers in your life. Mm -hmm. And we teamed up with Nikki and her brand, Bayou with Love. And we're going to do a fun little giveaway. We are gifting an amazing bracelet from Bayou with Love. We're so excited. So Elizabeth, how we are having you enter is we are having you tag a friend that's an so essential you can worker on our Instagram. Slide into our DMs on Instagram yeah. and okay. tell us about why this friend or family member deserves some little extra love at this time. And we are going to anonymously share the stories on Instagram stories. So if you don't want it shared, feel free to just note that. Or if you do want it shared, we want to share. We want to shed light on people's good works. That's the whole thing. So we want to, you know, give love to all the people who are holding it down for us at this time. And so we want to share those stories. So okay. drop us a little line in the DMs and we're going to at random select a winner with this mm -hmm. beautiful bracelet that Nikki designed. It's awesome. It's an oval chain bracelet. 
It is recycled brass and plated with refined 14 karat yellow gold. And it is, as she says, inspired by the continued belief that recycled can also be luxury. I'm just so obsessed with everything on her site. And this is such a beautiful gift. Yeah. And I'm just really thrilled that we're going deeper on this concept of sustainability. This is something, as I said earlier, it's just been like I'm doing a complete reframe in my mind of of how I approach consumption and how I can take better care of this planet. And we're really excited to explore these topics deeper as our curiosity is sparked. That's right. So on Fist Friday tomorrow, I'm going to go live with the owner of one of my favorite vintage shops, Barnaby Jack. Then we're also going to be talking with my landlord about this refill shop that she's opening in Topanga. And we're just trying to open the conversation of sustainability in a way that doesn't feel insurmountable and feels easy and fun for us all to chip away at little by little. Yeah. And we'd love to hear from you guys about what you're up to and the sustainable route, little changes you're making. Um, I think as we... Today is such a great example as we share, you know, what each other is doing. It really has a domino effect. And that's the hope here. So true, true, true. thanks so much to Nikki Reed for sharing all of her wisdom and insights with us today. Um, you guys can check her out online and we'll have all the links to, to her store and whatnot on our website. And just thanks for joining us. We love that we get to do this show every week and it's really Helping keeping me going. Same, buddy. Guys, as always, namaste listening. Bye. Bye. Yes, that's a retrograde.